Good morning, everybody. With me today, I've got Christine Perkins, National Account Manager of Residential Loans for Lanyard uh, Financial Corp, uh, which is a division of Lanyard Group, one of the largest asset-based asset lenders that you may never have heard of because they are lending primarily in Western Canada and the GTA, so not quite coast to coast, not quite everywhere, but in the, in the primary areas. And, uh, and typically, it is larger file sizes as well. But... The first topic I think we we're going to dig into, because uh, you caught me, I referred, I use, I use the term Mick and nope, not a Mick. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. So nomenclature, the, the what's what, the who's who, uh, you know, of, of alternate lenders. So that ranges from trust companies all the way down to private individuals with uh, varying levels of uh, extreme, as far as you know, extreme regulation on the trust company and the mortgage investment corps to basically zero regulation on the wild west when you're talking to some private, you know, Uncle Larry, Aunt Susan, whoever that's gonna loan the money. And uh, yeah, Christine, I mean, risk, right? You were rattling off a pretty good list of, of risks within yeah. The, with the lender on the lender side of the equation, you know, as the broker, you're trying to place that file, but what are some important things we need to watch out for? Well, I mean, there's certainly within the alternative lending space, there's very big corporations that do fantastic things. And um, many of us, you know, work for mortgage investment corporations, there's syndicators, trust companies, um, Lanyard, where we manage pool of funds for high net worth individuals, family um, offices, as well as big institutions. So there's a whole huge gamut of big uh, professionally run organizations across Canada where you're going to build a, rep, uh, a relationship and you're going to feel very comfortable working with them. Um, but they all do things a little bit differently. Um, and then you also have private individuals and and they make up their rules as they go because um, it's their money. And um, you may not know, are they going to fund your deal, first of all? Like, what's their reputation? Who the heck are these people? And will they renew the mortgage? If the market goes up, down, um, they want their money back. What What's going on? So that was sort of where we thought we'd chat about some of these things because there's some significant differences. Well, on those points too, like on the renewal and the funding, uh, I think as you, as you whittle right down to, to the case of dealing with a private individual, um, you know, I think the worst example ever is the, the broker that has their family member lending money to one of their clients. And, uh, you know, in real estate in BC, there's no dual agency allowed. The same realtor can't represent you, uh, a buyer and a seller. Same realtor can't represent a buyer and a seller in a transaction. And nor should a broker be able to represent, you know, in particular, a private lender, individual lender, and, and, and the borrower. It's, it's, it's a huge conflict of interest. I mean, how are you actually telling the, the lender you're getting them the best return while telling the borrower you're getting them the lowest possible rate, like the, it's fundamentally opposed. So there's obviously some challenges there. If things go wrong, you know, you're you're right in the heart of it all. Um, if payments aren't made or something happens with that lender that you put them involved with, um, it's it's not a place that you want to be for for most people. Well, then you're a licensed individual, so you're probably going to wind up not only getting sued by the borrower, but you're also going to get sued by the lender because everybody's unhappy and everybody's suing everybody and you're caught in the middle and you're the licensed professional. So yeah. 
Yeah, your reputation's on the hook. So it's very important um, if mortgage brokers are dealing with individual lenders um, that they have a really solid reputation in the industry. Um, and they really, really know that these, these individuals, what their terms are, um, what, you know, they what really know what the letter looks like that they're going to be issuing. Um, again, that they're going to fund, that they're not going to change their mind at the last minute because they've decided to place their money in the stock market or something. Um, and, and you thought, oh my gosh, they, they didn't write me a letter, but they said it was all good. And, and we got a closing in a few days. Like you really have to know. And so the, the cheapest rate, may not always be the best deal when you don't know what all the terms are. And, you know, the renewal thing is such a big one as well, especially with the market we're in right now, um, with it being much more harder to qualify with conventional financing. Well, and just LTVs were, I think, the, the most overlooked factor. You know, people were brokers and agents were placing clients into these private 75, 80, 85, 90, 95% LTV, you know, private mortgages, you can't refi the client out of that. Like, no. unless there's a strong lift in the market. I mean, even at 75%, when you tack on the fees and everything else, you're probably exceeding 80% potentially, certainly in the Ontario market, more so than the BC market, where the fees are traditionally a little lower. And um, yeah, how, how are you even, even if that client is a rock star and has great credit and great income and everything's fixed, the LTV alone was the issue. And luckily the market has continued to rise, which is amazing. Um, but every now and then the market does pull back for a year or two. And now these people are stuck. And I think the most egregious example I ever had was, um, I shouldn't say egregious, it, it was challenging. It was the most challenging example because the, the lenders weren't bad people, mm -hmm. but one of them had had a health incident in, in Mexico that they didn't have medical coverage and they had like a $225,000 medical bill. Mm -hmm. So they were going to get foreclosed on like their personal residence. So they could not renew the private mortgages they had out. So at renewal time, they just called them. Yeah. And forced a family into foreclosure because that family was at 85% LTV. There's no refi option and no private wanted to take that private out. And, you know, it, it was a mess. And of course, yeah. the broker wound up wedged in the middle, being yeah. sued by the clients because the, they, the clients thought they were going to be able, they never missed a payment. What's the problem? And, and you find that like most alternative lenders, um, if they're big institutions, whether they be, you know, big mortgage investment corporations, syndicators, trust companies, um, whether you're managing um, high net worth individual family pools of funds like we, we do at Lanyard, we and, and many of the top um, alternative lenders in Canada, right in their commitment letter, it's outlining exactly what the renewal terms will be for the following year and sometimes even into the year after that. So you know exactly what to expect and you feel confident as long as your client has paid as agreed. <laughs> that that lender is going to, to renew. Um, and you feel comfortable that if you put them into a private mortgage, if they're not in a position to get bank financing and to be, or the property may not be worth exactly what it was the year before, that they're not put into a dire situation 
and they're having to sell their property um, or, or hire a lawyer or do any of the above. So um, that is a really important part of a research, I would say, as a mortgage broker is to really research um, who you're dealing with on the front end and what the renewal policy will be on the back. Those are so important, not just the cheapest rate. We talk about best rate, best rate, best rate. Yes, but what is involved? What is? What are you putting your client into? What does it look like? I think, I think they get sort of wrapped up in the client's perspective, which is just get me the money now. I need the money by next week or else my world implodes. I don't care about all of the details. I don't care about page three, four, five, six, seven of the commitment. Just like, what's the rate? What's the payment? How fast can I get? And the brokers can get caught up in that. I, I remember getting caught up in my client's own sort of emotional you know, whirlwind where you're feeling the pressure because the client is under the pressure. And like you have to exhale and take a step back and be like, okay, hang on. Because it isn't just the exit strategy. It's the what if there is no exit strategy? What if you're stuck strategy? Like, okay, if you're stuck here for three years, can you make that work? Like, is that going to be acceptable? And, or, and at least documenting that, you know, having that written email to the client saying, you know, based on what you're telling me, I cannot guarantee that you would be able to get out of this situation into a better rate or a different lender inside the next three years. Yeah. So and, and it's true. And sometimes the best thing is the recommendation for the client is that, you know what, this is your, you're now at the end of the road. Like, especially if they're continuing to refinance to solve something that's like a continuously a problem, there is no solution after this. Like is doing a mortgage at this point in your best interest or is selling your property in the best interest? Because sometimes the best thing you can do for your client is not doing the mortgage. That is sometimes the best in everybody's interest. But that that is the most difficult piece of it. Like I, I I've tried to steer clear of that kind of advice every single time. Like you walk a fine line because of course we're in the Vancouver market, Christine. Yeah. And if you advised a client or I advised a client to sell a property in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, we did them a massive disservice because even if they'd had to borrow that. 50, 100, 150 grand at 32%. They the would have lift, money in their property. The yeah. lift, like it was, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you have to be cognizant of the market you're in. Mm. I mean, if that was a client whose home was, you know, a mobile and hope, like you're not going to get a lift. Like the market's not suddenly going to like boom for mobiles and hope. That's not a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. But when you're at Granville and 41st in a detached home, you know, and there's a consolidation going on on every block around there. Yeah, you know, you sort of do want to help people hang on as long as they can, but it's it's a fine line, isn't it? And then also, I mean, with all these different lenders, too, you talk about like location, like Vancouver versus, say, somewhere like Hope. They're all going to have different areas that they want to lend, different nuances. Some want to do first, some want to do second, some want to do thirds. Um, you know, at Lanyard, we're a, a, we do very large residential and commercial commercial lending. So it, it all depends sort of what that that niche is for that particular file as to kind of where you're going to, to be guided to go. Um, and I think sometimes on some of these really difficult files, um, lend, brokers will sometimes go to individuals. Um, that can be 
difficult too, because you got to be very careful that they understand and they have the sophistication to understand some of the difficult files that they're being asked to participate in. So it's both sides. Yeah. Well, I've made this point before. I mean, 95% plus of lawsuits that brokerages see are private mortgages, not mortgage investment corporation, not trust companies, not B, not A, they're private. And the lawsuits being triggered both by lenders and borrowers. Yeah. So th that is the, the miasma. That's, that's where the most pain is. But, but shifting over to a little bit different piece, um, I've seen you present many a time on underwriting best practices. Absolutely. And it is a little different in your space than the A space. Like you don't want 48 pages of neatly scanned titled documents all sent to you in one big attachment, do you? You're, you're looking for something a little simpler. Yes. Like let's start with just the property address is always nice. That's always a good way to start. Um, property address, if you know what the zoning is, are they purchasing? Are they refinancing? Like just that basic information. And then I would usually say, hey, is your borrower, is it foreign or, or domestic income? Like those would be the very basics to start with. If you can provide me with that information, I can get you a ballpark quotation immediately. Like with that information. Um, and surprisingly enough, brokers sometimes don't even have the property address and they want me to send a quote. And I'm like, hey, you got like, help me help you, please. I need at least the basics. Like, what are we talking about? Is it a commercial property? Is it a residential property that's on like farmland? Are we talking about raw land in the middle of nowhere? Are we talking about a beautiful new property? So those are really, really important pieces of the puzzle. Hey, I'm um, a lender. It's, it's a house with a red roof. It's like it's over on the hill across the yeah. water. It's house. It's worth a couple million bucks. And I want my client wants to borrow like 60, 70%. Like, what's your best rate? It's somewhere. And yeah. So I get that every day. And, and so if you could, you know, remembering that when you're sending it into your, even your um, alternative lenders, you think they don't need a lot, but we need at least that. That's the, the very least. And then um, the other thing is, is that if there's any hairiness to the deal, anything out of the ordinary, just let us know because we eventually find out these things. And, and if you let me know ahead of time, then it's not that we're not going to do the deal. It's just that we got to make sure we structure it properly to, to support the file. And if it's too hairy, like really hairy, um, then we like to give you a quick no, as opposed to leave you hanging. So I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't do it. My, my client didn't do it. You know, they're, yeah. they're in the newspaper, but they didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So so all these articles aren't on them. Right. Um so yeah, anything unusual about the deal is really important. Um, and the other thing on your part is to make sure you, you are doing your research, you know, at least a little bit of research on the client before you call. Um, because if you're kind of doing, calling all your private lenders on a file that it might be a little bit unsavory, it's probably good to, to know and, and do that research a little bit ahead of time. So you're not wasting a ton of people's time. Um, Actually, yeah, Christine, you're 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 taking me down memory lane right now because I seem to recall a file where you said, "Have you googled this client?" And I said, "You know, I'm the guy who says always Google the client." And uh, no, I haven't googled this client. And you were like, "You should Google this client." And I googled the client, and I'm like, "Oh no! How am I walking around presenting this individual to like? No, this is these this is not my people." These aren't your people. These are your people. But in fairness, I always had the property address. Like you're setting the stakes really low here, guys. Like like 
wants is a property address to start off. Like the fact that you have to even ask for that is, is really but, you know, I do, I do, and no fault to like, I think a lot of sometimes new brokers, they get really excited because like it's one of their first files they've had and they get a call about a high you know, from a high net worth client, he's buying a multi-million dollar property and they see all these dollar bills in there, you know, for the huge commission they're going to get. And and they need to stop, take a deep breath whew, and, and just do that wee little bit of uh, due diligence and then proceed. Yeah. And um, helps us a lot out a lot. And the other thing is, is that establishing a relationship with your private lender, I would say is a really good thing too. Because yeah. we have, yeah, you know, right, Dustin? Right. Well, there's a little bit of hair on a file, and then there's Chewbacca. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, we're yeah. we're going to price accordingly. Yeah. Um, question do, do, uh, does, does Lanyard do construction? Um, you know, we, we will consider construction in our more in our commercial portfolio, um, but we tend to to focus on um, like only if it's about 80% complete, then we'll look at it under a residential portfolio. Most of what we do is existing properties or, you know, service land, but we focused on more um, urban residential properties, high-end homes, condominiums. Um, in our commercial portfolio, we'll look at development properties and things like that. Um, we will consider construction if it's between one to $75 million on our commercial side. So can I get 150% financing for my yoga slash ski retreat uh, in Whistler? Oh, wait, I don't have a property address yet. Oh, yes. Know. Yes. But we do like Whistler, right? <laughs> yeah. Does Lanyard like Whistler? Lanyard, Lanyard, Lanyard likes Whistler. We do. It's actually doing really well. I mean, we're finding probably across Canada that there's been a move to, to buy recreational properties because people are looking for a little more space right now. They don't want to be so close to everybody right now and get all their germs and, and bad air. So they're moving to places where they got a little more space and they can walk around their property and not have to see anybody. So um, recreational properties are up and um, in the, the prime areas, we, we will look at those. Yeah. Well, that's good to know too. Yeah. Well, I think we were targeting 20 minutes. We're at 19 minutes. So mm -hmm. is there anything else you want to tack onto this? I think this has been like just a nice punchy little uh, conversation so far. I, I I think we talked about how important it is to get outside. It gets fresh air these days. Yes, indeed. And, and of course, this goes out across Canada where it's a little more challenging to get out and get fresh air. Uh, some yeah. of us are limited to certain hours of the day for the fresh air and some yeah. of us are limited to what we can do uh, to get that fresh air. But but one way or another, you're right, uh, Christina keeps all the time. Hey, when you're on that half hour call where you know you could out, be out walking around the block and talking no matter what the temperature is, like get out and move for half an hour and have that conversation. Get a little bit of daylight if you can. So important. Yeah. And even when daylight, it's like a, we're in Vancouver today and it's a pretty gloomy day. But, you know, it's important to get that vitamin D. It certainly keeps all our spirits up. And I think that's what's important these days is to keep the momentum. Well, on that note, uh, we both have 40 minutes probably before the next call. So get out and go for a walk around the block. That's right. Thanks, Dustin. Right. For this is awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Cheers. See everybody tomorrow. Bye-bye.